It began in sixth grade and continued through my first few years of high school. My whole family experienced odd things in our house. Dad is very much a believer in the paranormal. Mom, though more of a skeptic, is nevertheless open-minded. My younger sister caught the brunt of what went on, possibly because she's more attuned, but none of us could make sense of what we saw and heard. The event started small. Our parents would hear noises coming from upstairs while we were out and all pets accounted for, specifically the sound of toys dropping to the carpet. Our cats, Arya and Danny, would perk up and stare intently at nothing for minutes on end, their pupils wide. On one occasion, Arya, curled beside my dad in the master bedroom, suddenly stiffened and began tracking the movements of some unseen presence walking around the bed. A few weeks later, as Dad read The Hobbit to my little sister, a motion sensor toy hanging from an upstairs doorknob came to life on its own, as though someone were passing back and forth in front of it. This despite the fact Dad was sitting where he should have been able to see whomever it was and saw no one. He and my sister froze at the electronic greeting and stared down the empty hallway until it stopped. After being told the story, I turned the toy off and removed it. The occurrences began revolving around my sister not long after this. She remains the only member of our family to have heard her name whispered when alone. One night, struggling to fall asleep, she heard a voice outside her door. Haley. Haley. Assuming it to be me, she whispered back. When I didn't answer, she got up and opened the door, only to find one of the cats glaring up at her. Another night, she had to go into the garage to retrieve her soccer bag from Mom's car. The only light happened to be a flickering overhead bulb, which of course didn't help make things less creepy. As she shut the car door, bag in hand, Haley! She now refuses to set foot in the garage on her own after dark. One afternoon, she came home to an empty house. Though she had to brave the garage on her own to get in, she powered through and found Arya waiting just inside the utility room. As she reached down to pet her, three loud bangs echoed from the direction of our rooms at the end of the hall. Terrified, she scooped the cat up, dove under a blanket on the couch, and hid there until someone came home. Up to this point, apart from the occasional vague sense of some menacing presence following me down the stairs, bent, I imagined, on shoving me, I hadn't experienced anything remotely as intense. As for everyone else's stories, I chalked it up to my family's unique sense of humor. Then one night, as Dad was reading Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows aloud, story time was shattered when the room above began shaking. Not just the ceiling or the walls, the entire room. We could hear it. Do you hear that? Dad asked. I shook my head in denial, unwilling to admit the evidence of my ears. Oh, come on, he said. There's no way you don't hear that. The shaking stopped. We sat in silence for what seemed like forever before Dad returned to the book and picked up where he'd left off. Incidentally, no earthquakes were reported in the area that night, and none of our neighbors felt anything out of the ordinary. That said, we weren't the only ones to experience strange things in our house. A home workout buddy of my dad's, finishing a set of pull-ups at the bottom of the stairs one night, looked up to see a little girl staring at him from the landing. Hey! He yelled at my dad. I think one of your kids needs you. We were staying at my grandparents that night. Not much has happened as of late, thankfully. I couldn't say why. 
I do, however, find it interesting that about a mile up the road from our house sits an empty lot on which a mental hospital once stood. Though it was torn down years ago, driving by still sends shivers up my spine. I can't help but wonder if there's some connection to the entities in our home. Thank you, Kimberly, for that submission. My name is Jamie Markey. And I'm a somewhat jealous at how professional you sound. <laughs> Michael Tatum. Look, I'm also a little I'm also a little freaked out by that story. It's a freaky story. Mm-hmm. But to be clear, I mean, I don't ever say anything in front of my name, so it's just fucking slating. Hi, I'm Jamie Markey and I'm reading for blah 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 blah. Yeah, but it's so pro. Slating is a pro- the fact that you know that term is pro. I mean, we both know that term, but like we're both professional voice actors. How many of our though? listeners know what slating is? Slating is when you say your name and possibly your agent and possibly the character you're auditioning for. It depends on what they request before you send an audition. It sounds something like, "Hi, I'm Jamie Markey, reading for the co-host on Ghoul Intentions," or. Hi, I'm Michael Tatum, reading for the co-host on Ghoul Intentions, and today's episode is titled, Lands Away! (laughs) (laughs) See what I did there? That That was was a good segue. We didn't even have to say it. Cheers! That was amazing. Oh, you couldn't hear the clink. We couldn't, because we're drinking out of glittery plastic cups. We are. Well, I had some leftover from a gathering. Right. And um, I also had some champagne leftover from a gathering, and so waste not, want not, we're drinking champagne today. We're having alcoholic leftovers. My favorite. Yes, the, the only <laughs> leftovers we actually partake in. It's true. Um, do, you, do you eat leftovers? I don't think I've ever eaten a leftover in my life. Leftovers are just what collect in the fridge until they get moldy, and then I have to throw them away because mm. they smell. Because they can no longer be covered up by baking soda. I will have them a day or two. I'm much more likely to have leftovers if I've cooked it than if it's take, take out. If it's pizza... Pizza's different. Because I like cold pizza. I, I don't like warmed cold up pizza, pizza. But cold pizza is the Jack shit. Jack doesn't like, he doesn't get it. You like cold pizza? I love cold pizza. How did I not know that? Of how course does, How did do. I not know that Jack doesn't like cold pizza? No. That's ridiculous. He's not perfect, is what I'm saying. Well, clearly. <laughs> Why is our title Lands oh, Away? So this is, I think, the second time we've used a quote from an Emily Dickinson poem, but the quote is... Emily Big Dick, that's right. Emily Big Dick. <laughs> I remember now. Son of Big Dick. Um... <laughs> She's also an easy, easy. She's an easy poet to quote because her poems tend to be really short. Okay. Uh, so she's very widely read, even though mm-hmm. she's very mysterious, very gnomic. I love that term, gnomic. Just means a fancy way of saying mysterious. There's my ten dollar word for the day. Oh, gnomic. How do you spell gnomic. it? Uh, gnome. G n o m e. With that, take the e i uh, the e out and put an i c at the end, and you oh. have the word gnomic. I just imagine her being little with a cute hat on. She probably was both those I things. Bet she was. I she bet was kind her... of a recluse. She was a mysterious woman. She I bet really, she definitely had a gnome her. outfit. For being such an influential figure in American letters, she is. Uh, we almost have have almost no facts about her life oh because God. she was an absolute recluse. She's, she's she wasn't like... published in her lifetime. You know that, right? Her poems were found after she died, like like stuffed in a drawer somewhere. She never sought publication. These were just like the scribblings of a woman who happened to be a genius. I love and, it. And yeah, because it wasn't about being a Kardashian for her. No, she would have given zero shits about Instagram oh, culture. Can you imagine a poetry, the poetry she would have written about modern social media? I'm glad she's oh, not, because then I would feel guilty. Right. 
But, but the but the phrase that the the, uh, the 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 term lands away comes from uh, is and I love this phrase. There is nothing like there is no frigate like a book to take us lands away. What's a frigate? <laughs> it's a kind of boat. <laughs> it's oh. a kind of ship. Okay, a say it again. Frigate. Say it again. Yeah, I should just say there's no friggin' thing like a book to take us lands away. But there there is no frigate, f r i g a t e, like a book mm. to take us lands away. It's a lovely turn of phrase. Very concise, very pretty, mm-hmm. very evocative of what a good story can do for you. Mm-hmm. And since today's stories, from my understanding, are either take place literally lands away, right. or take place in a play, it take place somewhere whose job it is to transport us lands yes. away in the Which, mind's eye. I yeah, thought it seemed fitting. It is a very fitting. So what's funny is that. One of us, inevitably, it's usually Michael, will pick the title, mm. and it always fucking works with the other story. And I love that. I know. And I mean, and it works, too, with Kimberly's story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love that the biggest experience she had was while she was being read The Frickin' Hobbit. Mm-hmm. How cool is that? There are references to two uh, books, mm-hmm. you know, and reading in there, which is, I think, really cool. The Deathly also, Hallows. Nerdy Parents. Yeah, and love it. Hobbit. Oh, man. I the Hobbit was one of my favorite books yes. growing up. I, I still love it. Cartoon. And I still love Lord of the Rings. Yeah, the cartoon. Oh, that, that was, was so Ralph good. Bashke? I think it was Ralph Bashke. Yes. Yes. Cartoons. Oh, my God. I met him. He's so nice. You fucking met Ralph Bashke? Yes. Really? At a, at a festival. Holy shit. Yeah. I'm so jealous. Yeah, the great. only person I've met that's kind of along those lines and I actually had a nice, wonderful conversation with about literature was Peter S. Beagle, the, the writer of The Last Unicorn. Oh, um, that oh most that's people, one of my favorites ever. Yeah, most people know the, the beautiful animated film starring Mia right. Farrow that came out in the 70s. But And uh, if you don't, you should watch it. It's fucking Oh amazing. my God, it holds up so fucking yeah. well. But that the book that it's based on that Peter S. Beagle wrote is one of my all-time favorite yeah. works of fiction. It's just perfect. Oh, He's just like a modern-day mystical bard weaving this this beautiful little story that has so much it's so concise and short i mean it's a very little book it's very slim it's less than i think 300 pages which for a fantasy novel is unheard of they all have to be like 800 goddamn pages and in five volumes now so you forget like the middle yeah, I mean, let's be honest. But he's such a he's such a poet. He's such a poet with language, and I love some of the imagery. the The imagery in the Last Unicorn has has stayed with me all my life. Mm-hmm. Like to to the extent Doesn't that it's America like, do the music for that. Is it America? I don't know. It's either America or Mannheim Steamroller. Which it's is the exact absolutely opposite not Mannheim America. Steamroller. It's absolutely <laughs> then it's not. It's probably America. I think, I think it is. I might be wrong. Don't hold me accountable. You're alive. But I met I met Peter S. Beagle uh, years ago at a convention uh-huh. where he was appearing, and I thought I was so nervous to go meet him because he's such a hero of mine. Right. And I'm nervous of meeting my heroes because I don't want them. I'm like, ah, fuck my luck. I'm going to catch them on a bad day, and they're going to be a shit. Right. Because uh, everyone has that, and I'm usually the one that's going to catch it. But <laughs> you, <laughs> you catch know, it from me all the time. I'm I'm the shit magnet. But for you, but he for was your delightful. credit, you jump in and you and you. I just like get a dog. shitty with me. Like it's a great. dog, I just roll around in yeah. it and have fun because you fest. can't. If you can't roll around in the shit, You've life is going to be really hard. You've got to have a friend <laughs> that you can have a fucking bitch session with. you got to get it all out so that then you can not have to deal with it. And like, There is something to be said about having that kind of friendship where it's like, we just need to talk shit for a solid hour and i got to get it out of my system and then my I'll be My soul, I do not mind admitting, is nurtured by shit talk. I love... Uh, I love that. Because people Let's are... be honest. 
Our friend Valentina, who we'll have to have on the show one mm-hmm. day, said wonderfully, people are a box of stupid. <laughs> Give them a choice and they'll always make the wrong one. And it, it's, let's face it, it's in a world of such people, it's really fun to talk about them. It's true. It's true. And I mean, we are nice people who can handle society and being in public, but part of that is because of our... Our shit-talking moments. It's how we blow up, They're not all the time. I'm not an asshole in public because we can go behind closed doors and be like, can you believe that bitch? Right. <laughs> it's, it's healthy. It's necessary. It's necessary. you got to feed the alligators in the basement well, or they fucking to... crawl their way up to the living room and start killing people. It's very Babadook, right? You've got to be honest <laughs> with the dark side. you got to feed it, but keep it in the basement. Precisely. So also fuck a basement um hashtag fuck a basement <laughs> so okay. okay so you're gonna start oh, us off today i just bumped my microphone fuck. way to go jamie way Sorry. to go i'm gonna take i'm gonna finish your champagne <gasps> you i won't son of a bitch <laughs> i won't I i'm won't, gonna won't. find someone and talk shit I about you taking glasses my they're so glittery sparkly um so what do you bubbles got for me? make us giggly <laughs> this is this was i think don perion um, sure it was. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, the guy that kind of invented wine. He didn't oh. invent it. He rediscovered it. <laughs> trying so, to like, say that's what we're drinking. I'm like, nah, it's not. Quick history of what well, my phone just buzzed. I'm sorry. Let me put it on airplane mode. Sorry, everyone. Sorry. I'm going to go ahead and <laughs> Real put shit my computer happens. on silent um, while we... <laughs> Ghost. This is hey showbiz. It's, it's, this is this is the this is the magic behind the magic, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, what was I going to say? I was bubbles. I the wire oh, the bubbles. bubbles. Yeah. So when champagne, like bubbles, champagne came into be came into being it on accident. Mm-hmm. It was some 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 point in France, like or in England somewhere. They were like, oh shit, we made wine and there's fucking bubbles in it. You son of a bitch. And then uh, and it was just discarded as like awful. Like this is bad wine. There shouldn't be bubbles in it. What the fuck's wrong with you? And then this French guy, uh, Don Perrin, like Perrin or whatever the fuck his name was, DP took a sip. DP famously DP took a sip of it in France and was like, this is amazing. This is <laughs> laughter in a bottle. Yes. Uh, and so he decided like you motherfuckers in England don't like champ. We're going to call this champagne. We're going to get a French name and everyone's going to fucking be mad for it. And it's from now on, it's going to be what people drink. It's going to be fun at midnight on New Year's Eve. Right. <laughs> I don't know if he had that in mind, but he was like, I love bubbly wine because it's basically it's what my champagne favorite. is. It's my Me favorite wine too. of all of the wines. But you have to drink a lot of water with it because there is nothing worse than a champagne hangover yeah you've got it and this is not one of those so we definitely have to drink a lot of water but uh the the better the champagne the the least likely you are to have a headache true yeah yeah um so (laughs) we definitely need to drink anyway a little sidebar for our any any of our listeners who like to drink along with us we like to give little tips on how to be a successful high functioning alcoholic Alcoholic. yeah (laughs) everybody's got to have a hobby um, it's a problem if it's not a hobby. So keep it a hobby. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my story is about the Ford Center for the Performing Arts, Ooh. also known as the Oriental Theater in Chicago, Illinois. Oh, let me get, let me get comfy because I'm going to love the shit out of this. I don't, I don't. So this is dark. Know anything about it. Yeah. What? It's, it's dark? Really, it's like how dark? On like a scale really from, tragic. On a scale from one to like genocide. Uh, it is the worst fire in a single building in the history of the United States. Okay. That's. It's dark. Saying something. Yeah. And. That it happened in Chicago. It happened, yeah. <laughs> right. Because Chicago has kind of a history of bad fires. It does. It does. So oh, shit. Okay. okay. Before we get, you know, before it was the Oriental Theater, um, which 
I can't even say the title without feeling like, is that questionable? Should we call something the Oriental yeah, Theater? It doesn't feel like inappropriate. It feels inappropriate. I feel like my mother, my grandmother would have said those words. And I would <laughs> have been like, Jean. that's Paula a rug. Jean would have said it. That's a rug. But it's a theater. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's just it's just what they called it. We don't espouse the racist overtones. Right. Exactly. So to completely get rid of racist overtones, before that, it was known as the Iroquois <laughs> Theater. <laughs> That I'm much more comfortable with that. Right, way more comfortable with a Native American named theater in the early 1900s. Um, the Iroquois Theater was on the on West Randolph Street between Dearborn and State Street in Chicago. It, it was a very safe, police-patrolled loop shopping district and was built in that lo- location specifically to attract women and children, which it did. Hmm. It's good. Yeah, I mean, location, it, location, location. Exactly, right? exactly. Um, well, and you, it was a big theater, and they wanted to make sure that they had a lot of people come, and that, and then it was for the people, right? Uh, it was considered an architectural masterpiece, which you'll like to know, and was built as. I know you did. <laughs> you may have heard it. I know it was awkward. Um, <laughs> they don't get hard at the I same time. One go a different time. <laughs> Amazing. Well, one nipple is kind of shy, so it waits for the other to make the right. It doesn't. It doesn't like to go first. Uh, So interestingly, it was billed as absolutely fireproof. What could possibly go? What could possibly go wrong? Like the Titanic was built to be unsinkable. Exactly. Uh, It was Chicago in the early 1900s, so fires were very, very scary and a very real fear. So this was obviously a selling point of the theater. And to be fair, it was fireproof. It's just all the stuff inside it wasn't. So the outside was fireproof, but the inside... Inside, Not so much. And that includes the people. Okay, so... Um, it's so dark having the capacity to fit 1,602 people in seats the Iroquois had three audience levels there was the main floor which had 700 seats the second level had more than 400 seats and the third level had about 500 seats there were four boxes on the first level and two above as well that's a big fucking theater especially for the day huge for the day yeah the theater had only one entrance uh, which led into a broad stairway that took took you to all three levels. And the idea was you wanted to allow all of the patrons to see and be seen no matter how much they paid for their tickets. Mm. So it was a very inclusive idea so that the people who were going to the cheap seats could still dress nice and be received. And, and it was very egalitarian. Very, very much so. But not OSHA friendly. Well. <sighs> oh, shit. Uh, it opened in uh, on November twenty third, nineteen o three, and they there's some saying that it rushed kind of f- for completion, and that was a problem. What a public building, right? Um, but <laughs> never, I mean, there were more. Never it was ni- it was the nineteen hundred. It was nineteen o three. There was more than just that. But on December thirtieth, so just a month and a few days later. The absolutely fireproof Iroquois Theater pulled a Titanic and caught on fire. <laughs> Iceberg dead ahead, except it's a fireball. Yeah, except it's kind of worse. So oh God. between 2,100 and 22 people, most of whom were women and children, packed the theater to see the Christmas matinee. And I think oh, it was shit. Mr. Blackbeard, I think was what they were showing. Mr. Don't- Blackbeard. 
Yeah, don't hold me accountable if that's wrong. Um, <laughs> well, they all, they're all dead. What are they going to do? Right, Complain? what are you going to do? Get mad at me? Um, it was, at the <laughs> time, it was the largest crowd since the opening of the theater because they had had weather problems, so people weren't going because mm, mm. They, had, they just had his- issues getting people in. So this was a really Chicago nice day. in the winter, too. Right. Good and Lord. It, and after Christmas, kids mm-hmm. were out of school. They just had the opportunity to really fill the theater. The standing room areas were so crowded that some patrons instead sat on the aisles and blocked the exits. Oh, fuck. At about 3.15 p.m. during the second out, second act, sparks from an arc light ignited a curtain. Oh, shit. So what they had to put out fires in the theater were called uh, kill fire canisters. K-I-L-F-Y-R-E, kill fire. It was basically three pounds of white powder mostly sodium bicarbonate, mm, that was mm. put into a two-inch by two-foot tin tube. The user was instructed to forcibly throw the container at the fire. And then I guess it would explode or open and And then the sodium bicarbonate powder would go everywhere and put the fire out. Like suffocate the flames. Yes. But this was in the air. Oh, so when shit. they threw the canister, it just fell back down. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Uh, oh my god so the flame just it's like ha 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 fuck right. you and kept on yeah can you imagine eating everything oh there's a fire let me put it out real quick <laughs> like <laughs> womp womp mm-hmm. oh hey guys we're Pretty all much. gonna die um someone do research on that uh play and see if that's an actual sound effect that they used at the time <laughs> so okay someone had a toothless saw in the orchestra pit like <laughs> 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 Uh, some reports say a fire curtain could not be lowered. Others say that the fire curtain had a tear in it, making it quite flammable. Oh, shit. Either way, um, it was made of wood pulp and asbestos. That was the oh. majority. They did a chemical test on it afterwards, and that's what the fire curtain was made out of. So it didn't fucking work no matter what happened. So it was going to kill you one way or the other. Yeah. The fire then immediately spread to the fly gallery. So if you don't know the theater, they're usually pretty tall, especially prosceniums. So uh-huh. all of the sets that are in the that come they they fly in and fly out. That's why it's called the fly gallery. Right. So they'll drop down the cur- where they drop down curtains, where they drop down background scenery, that uh-huh. all has to be stored somewhere and it's over the stage and you can have multiple backgrounds and different scenes at the same time. Right. Sometimes they'll paint them and pull them up and let those dry while a different show is going. So you can have a bunch of different... Yeah, for different shows, too, depending on what's going on that week. Yes. Um, So what they had, because it was a huge theater, they had several thousand square feet full of highly flammable painted canvas scenery flats. So just imagine a three- to four-bedroom good-sized house stuffed... With canvas that has been dipped in oil. Because they're using oil paints, right? Um, when I went to college, we used milk-based paints, which smelled... Oh, God, it smelled like shit. It was terrible. Milk-based paint? Milk-based paint. But they're not going to catch on fire. I don't know. They're going to yeah. smell like you'd wish you were burning, but... Oh, God, it was terrible. Oh, my God. Yeah, I... 
I gagged a lot. So all that's going to catch. <laughs> so I'm picturing something like all these backdrops, these painted backdrops, oil painted backdrops mm-hmm. are now catching on fire. They're uh-huh. overhead. And so now pieces of them are just falling just, to the stage, going the up thing. and then falling down on the stage and cut, like the wood, the boards, everything else. Oh, right. fuck. And fire spreads so, so fast. fucking and fast. And this is in the top, right? This mm-hmm. is above the stage. So... Um, this guy, and I'll tell you what his name is in a second, it's not on this page, <laughs> he comes out and he tries to calm everybody, and he was actually lauded, he survived, but he was lauded for his efforts to keep everybody calm and to come on stage and say, hey, there's a fire, we need to exit quietly. He did his best, given his set of circumstances. Yeah. It's like, they, hey, the, the little powder bombs we had just didn't work. Gonna, yeah, the working, actors so. all um, left, and they left out, there are these big, um, huge doors that would open and uh that's for sets for new flies to come in for like for big pieces Mm -hmm. so it was a very two very large doors and when they opened those doors it introduced a lot of oxygen oh fuck which the fire just feeds on it created a backdraft and it shot flames all the way to the balcony because the theater was supposed to be fireproof there were no sprinklers there were no alarms there were no water connections. The common stairway that allowed everyone to see and be seen equally actually ignored Chicago fire ordinances at the time that required separate stairways and exits for each balcony. That meant everyone in the audience had to leave by that one stairway. The fire exits were locked. A few managed to get open, but external exit doors, which opened, they opened inwards. Yeah, okay, so that's yeah, the so, exact opposite of what you want them to yeah, do. Yeah, if you have 2,200 people rushing to get out, those you can't doors open the those, doors. Yeah, yeah, those doors aren't budging. they should be going out, this not is in. That's incidentally why, that's probably one of the reasons why it is. Exit, fire exit doors now always have to push outward. Yes, this is so, one of those reasons. Any of you uh, ever approaching a door to some place that's also the exit door, know that the best way to get in is to always to pull out. Um, if you're entering, because all doors by law in the United States have to open outward for this reason. Yeah, it trapped people. And there was also a metal gate that they shut that blocked the stairs from the balcony to the lobby. So during... Why the fuck would they shut that? Those will fight the fire. Like It was shut during the play so that people wouldn't go down into the lower levels and I guess take seats or whatever. But they had a metal gate and the ushers panicked. So they forgot to unlock the gate. Oh, shit. Yeah. It was terrible. This it was is like a the, fucking nightmare. The worst possible things that could happen totally happened. Um, it gets worse. Oh. So the panicked oh. ushers either forgot to unlock the doors and open the gate or they refused to. At times, there were some uh, fire exit doors that it was reported an usher refused to open. And they ended up kicking it open or someone knew how the lock worked or something because it was a different type of lock. And they did it. But um, what the fuck was the usher thinking? The usher thinking like, well, okay, just stay in there for a little while. We don't want there to be like a scene. And hey, you can always stop, drop and roll once we do let you out. Right. Or just like go slowly with the crowd. It will make sense why this usher maybe said no in just a second. Okay. Um, so far, I'm not a fan of this usher. Yeah. The largest death toll was at the base of these stairways where hundreds of people were trampled, crushed, or asphyxiated. Why the usher may have said no is because there, there were rickety fire escapes. If there were fire escapes at all in this area of the theater, it opened into an alley behind the theater. And so people were scrambling through them once they got the doors open. 
But there is no fire escape there. Because the building was fireproof. Why build a, Why fire, build a escape fire escape if there's never going to be any fire to escape from? So if Pop you get pushed out, you fall three stories. God almighty. Yeah. Uh, falling bodies started to pile up in the alley, and some who survived the fall were then killed by bodies falling on top of them. I'm just sorry. I'm yeah. kind of evilly, comically picturing people like being like, well, there's a nice pallet of dead people dead on people, the ground right. i can just land on top of them and then later and being think, crushed and, by another someone right. falling on top of you which is i mean it's sad but it's there's a weird kind of ironic dark. i mean there i don't think anybody would have time to think about anything it was just full panic right I mean, yeah if you're jumping out of windows clearly this is not the or result of or being pushed out this of is fire clearly exits, not the yeah. result of or the calm you're on the rickety fire escape and the fire escape collapses like oh, it was terrible fucking Building codes? Yeah. So, in addition, after the tragedy, bodies from the theater were stacked in the alley waiting to be transported to the morgue. The Chicago Tribune dubbed it the Alley of Death and Mutilation because of those bodies. Corpses were piled 10 high around the doors and windows. Many patrons had clambered over clamored over piles of bodies only to succumb themselves to the flames smoke and gases so they survive the crushing they survive the falling they survive all of the stuff only to be killed by the fire uh that's what people don't really realize is in a fire in an enclosed space like there there's there's several ways a mm-hmm. fire can kill you not just mm-hmm. burning you mm-hmm. um, oh god my heart just bleed because my father was as you know was a safety engineer mm-hmm. so this is the kind of stuff he would like uh, you know help design around to keep yeah. from these things these sorts of things from happening because i mean he saw a lot of shit like this where it's just like hey we plan things with the best of intentions but it's it's there's a certain arrogance involved and like what's the worst that could happen this. our building's made of stone <laughs> they can't burn this is what but the people inside and the, <laughs> the chairs and that the, were also and made the chairs of like and the curtains yeah. and the oil painted scrims and what the hell else you know like oh oh well the fire well at least the rest of the city will be protected right (laughs) everything will be trapped inside oh my Um, god that's horrifying that's you imagine being in that situation and knowing like i'm probably going to die in the situation because basically you realize like once there is a fire the idea is this building is to keep it in right i don't think they realized it because the majority of them were kids That's what makes it even more tragic. It is estimated that 575 people were killed on the day of the fire, most within 15 minutes of the fire starting. At least 30 more people died of injuries over the following weeks. And it's assumed because some bodies were actually taken away. So that's their estimation based upon what they counted. Over 600 people in one, like, killed from this And fire. if you've got to think, especially for the time period, if that's what they're admitting to, mm-hmm. the real number has to be so much worse. You wonder. Well, so the Great Chicago Fire, which is everybody talks about, that's the big fire, mm-hmm. 300 people died. So this was over double the Great Chicago Fire well, in the, one building. In 15 minutes. In 15 minutes, yeah. Jesus Christ. Just because to show Foy, you, like, a great fire is called a great fire because of how much property it destroys, not how many lives it takes. Yeah. Right? Fucked. Yeah. And it's the biggest theater fire and the biggest fire in a single building, the deadliest single building fire in the United States in the United States history. Ugh. Eddie Foy is the lead actor of the guy. That's the guy I was talking about. And um Was he the one that was trying to like tell He everyone, was telling hey, everybody down, to calm everyone. down. His role in the disaster as the actor who encourages patrons to make an orderly exit was recreated by Bob Hope in the film The Seven Little Foys. 
Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. Interesting little. And he had, I mean, he survived and he had uh, another career. You can Google him and, and do that. I have this vision of all the actors that were on stage that night, like the next day going, oh, that was really awful. But like, what did they say about the play? <laughs> did they like the play? <laughs> I did like, oh, it's like, well, they yeah. said it was ably performed. <laughs> <laughs> Considering. Hey, a compliment for all of us is a right. compliment for the whole. <laughs> I think all but four of the performers survived. Oh, God. Yeah. How because they went must out that they back. Felt? I well, mean, what do you do? What do you do? Mm. Uh, the exterior of the Iroquois was left largely intact. It was fireproof. <laughs> yeah, that part of the building was fireproof. Yeah, the building later reopened as the Colonial Theater, which was demolished in 1925 to make fa- make way for the Oriental Theater at 24 West Randolph, and the alley, now known as Couch Place Alley, remains. So it went from the alley of death and mutilation to being... Couch, place, alley. Also, a, the alley of death. That's A lot of people know it as the alley of there's death. There's a metaphor there. It's behind... I want to workshop that and get back to you. But sure, like yeah. there's, it go, it's, the, it's the alley of death, and now it's, oh, it's the alley of couch. Right. <laughs> right. Um, today, the Ford slash Oriental Theater stands on the spot of the Iroquois. Uh, local ghost tours get more activity in that alley than any other site in the city. Mm. Those walking through the alley have reported faint cries, particularly from children, cold spots, and the touch of unseen hands. Mm. They've seen ghostly figures jump off the balcony inside the theater, as well as running through the alley. People who live nearby also reportedly hear screams, giggles, which is fucking creepy. And yeah. other sounds coming from the alley and the theater area. Children, can I just say, children are creepy when terrifying. they're alive. Yes. Um, but but ghostly children are that much more terrifying. Yes, agreed. Because at least a living child, you think, oh, they're creepy now, but maybe they'll grow up to be a contributing member of society one day. So it kind of mitigates their creepiness. But a ghost child, I'm just going to say it, like, they're so much creepier because you're like, oh, fuck. You're the useless. Worst. And <laughs> you're useless and you're creepy. And you make me sad. No. Uh, like and there's either. that. I'm I'm a sociopath. That's a, lie. That's a lie. Can you imagine like being the kids and everyone else in the audience who just go to see this play? It's like a wonderful thing. It's all these kids. It's, it's totally magical. Yeah. It's enchanting. Getting to go see like go to a big, nice, beautiful theater to see whatever's on offer was like this experience. It was a big fucking deal. Yeah, you wore your fancy clothes. I don't think there's anything that's really quite uh, equivalent to that in these days because we're kind of used to having this stuff kind of at our fingertips. Yep. But back in the day, if your life as a kid was like, oh, I wake up in the morning, I go to work in the coal mines because right. <laughs> I'm five. Or the meatpacking um, plant if you're in Chicago. Or the meatpacking plant. Oh. That's a whole other... Um, oh, that's fucking... That's another ghost story. Uh, um, you know, so these kids several. have... You know, children had wretched lives back then, often, and then they get this chance to go to see this really mm-hmm. cool play around Christmas, which they're all excited about, you know, because Christmas, Santa Claus is coming, they've been good, and they go to this theater to be transported and then the worst possible thing can happen they are transported (laughs) so i said it was dark (laughs) oh my god that's so awful and i love you for it (laughs) i just think i mean it's true like that that hey i suppose the play really did go as advertised yeah we promise to make you forget about all the daily cares of your Workaday existence. Um, <laughs> Your living life. 
Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> um, okay, so it's a very immersive experience. It, is, it starts it in the is. theater, it ends in the alley. So uh, specifically, there's the ghost of Nellie Reed. She was a trapeze artist. This is so sad. She was positioned above the audience so she could fly above them and throw flowers. And she was just waiting there, basically in that fly area where everything caught on fire. And she was trapped there until it burned enough that she could fall. Oh, fuck. Because she's up in that rigging and everything, and there's nothing she can do about it. Yeah, I assume it caught on fire, burned, and she fell. Uh, She died three days later from burns and from internal bleeding. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, Yeah, it's pretty tragic. She, uh, people have sometimes seen her in the alley or her silhouette on the wall outside in the alley mm. wall, in the alleyway. Adam Seltzer, the author of The Ghosts of Chicago and a local ghost tour guide, has occasionally seen a silhouette of a woman in a tutu that he cannot explain, as well as strange human-like shadows zipping across the walls. People have caught shadow images and pictures and generally feel uneasy in the area, which fucking yes, of course they do. I feel uneasy here in this moment. Just Um, telling the fucking story. Just telling the story, yeah. An employee at the theater who did HVAC work said certain areas of the building were always cold no matter what they did. Engineers never wanted to walk down the certain hallways alone since it was common knowledge that the place is haunted. The hallway where everyone tried to escape is super eerie since it's also always cold and the lights have a tendency to flicker. Uh. Rushing footsteps have also been heard in the alleyway and in the theater. And then I read this on a couple of websites, but Nelson Algren recreated the experience of being in a burning theater in his 1939 poem, Program for Appeasement. It was also supposedly like a communist allegory, but whatever. We're going to read it anyway because it's creepy. (laughs) It (laughs) It addresses the breakdown of safety conventions as panic spreads, stating, Then jump, do not run, every man for himself. Get down from the balcony on someone else's head. Pick up two burning seat cushions and burn your way out to that farthest exit of deepest corner of the last unlit exit that all the rest forgot. But never look back. Never look back. Oh, never look back. I'm going to vote that we use the phrase (laughs) last unlit exit as the title for an upcoming episode. Okay. okay. Because it's literary. (laughs) It's a poem. Yeah. Even and, if it was written by a pinko commie bastard, but hey, right. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna rail against capitalism, that theater fire seems a really good hill yeah. to die on. And it did, to be fair, no it did intended. change a lot of rules and regulations. The people who who built it were arrested, um, but mm, they mm. had enough legal support and There's, loopholes to get out of it, so that nobody was really ever punished. They were probably rich as fuck, so rich they got to snap on yeah. their wrist. Um, but it did change a lot of regulation uh, within the United States. Uh, so that, that may be, I'll have to talk to my dad about it, but that may be why exit doors uh, now always have yeah. to open outward yeah. rather than inward. Because, because someone goes, oh yeah, when there's a giant like mob of people pressed up against the doors. They're all going to they die right there die before right the fire there. could ever have yeah, a chance. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Mm. So that is the story of the Ford Center for the Performing Arts in Chicago, Illinois, also known as the Oriental Theater, also known as the Iroquois. Also known as, like... There's another theater. The Unburnable... The Carousel? I don't know. (laughs) 
the, the absolutely <laughs> the unburnable Molly Brown, I, <laughs> <laughs> the Titanic of theaters. <laughs> oh God! Oh fuck! And so Man. there you go. That's my story. My story. I wanted to do something. Okay, here's the thing. So our notion of what a ghost looks like, how they behave, where they dwell, and why. I mean, let's face it, it owes so much to England. Right. And the, the classic English ghost story. Shout out to all our listeners in the UK. Hell all of yeah. you. And Ireland. And Ireland. Um, so I thought it was only appropriate that we get to, that I tell a story this week about a proper haunted British castle. Let's do it. I'm right? ready. So without further ado, um, Madam Jamie of Lynn. Uh, <laughs> of Marquis. <laughs> Lady Bishop of Marquis. There we go. Um, <laughs> I like it. I like that. I, I give to you Hampton Court Palace, which Hampton. a lot of our listeners may have heard of before. But Is I that thought, like a Hampton Inn? Like, what are we talking about? You know, in some ways it is kind of like a Hampton Inn, I guess. <laughs> but for royalty. At least it was. So it is actually one of only two buildings still standing that once housed Henry VIII. You know, mm. everyone's favorite fat ass. Hence it's three star status. <laughs> yeah, the other ones, are the other buildings are days in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> two and a half, two stars. Otherwise known as St. James Palace. Uh, but yeah, so. It's so, no La Quinta, that's what we're saying. It's no La Quinta. Uh, it's no La <laughs> It's it's not part of the Hilton Honors program. <laughs> I love the Hilton Honors program. Same. Just gonna say that. Same. So uh, the building has a rich, rich history of hauntings, and it's oh my god, these ghosts are so classy. I love they're it. They're so sad, some of them, but they're just they're the cla- like these are the classic ghosts that actually have a lot of shit to back them up. Okay. Um, and in fact, I'm gonna show you a piece of CCTV footage that comes from Hampton Court Palace, that uh, it's kind of the end of my story. It's kind of the yeah. climax, if you will, Woo. to my tale of, of woe, betrayal, murder, and hauntings, and all the shit you'd expect from a good classic English ghost story. Uh, so just, we're going to bring it up, and at the end I'm going to show it to you, because it's a really great, I think it's just a really great thing to build to. Because I, I, you know how I am when it comes to footage and pictures of ghosts. Yes, and that's why I like to show you ghosts. Nine times out of ten, I, I'm inclined to think that they're bullshit or they're just misinterpretations of, you know, uh, photographic anomalies or whatever. But this piece of footage, I think it's pretty, pretty good. It certainly sends shivers up my spine, and that's no easy feat. So let's get into the history of Hampton Court Palace. So the original structure was built in 1515 and housed... Just like a little while ago. Yeah, like, I mean, just like a year or two before Vine. Uh, <laughs> it was originally housed, it originally housed a uh, an order of holy knights. Uh, oh, holy I know, I went right there in right. my head. <laughs> holy Knights. That's one of my favorite Christmas um, songs. It's a, good, it's a beautiful song. That one and the first Noel, both of them. Not that kind of holy night, though. These are holy knights, holy knights with a K. Knights. So they went out killing things, like holy Knigget. things do. Um, Knigget's. Careful the way you say <laughs> I that. I know, I don't like so. saying it like that. It's, it swerves us dangerously close to things we shouldn't be saying. It, cl- it swerves us dangerously close to Paula Deen territory. Ah! There's my second reference. To Paula Deen, I know. <laughs> Her episode. She's the Mark Twain of this episode. Oh, no, no. You made it happen. No, I, I didn't refuse. do it. You did I it. do not, I will not associate too her late. with Mark Twain. Too it's bad, so Too sad. easy and it's too unfair <laughs> uh, to Mark Twain. Yeah. Uh, anyway, 
<laughs> so it was originally built in 1515 for this order of holy knights called the Order of St. John of Jerusalem. Now, in the 1530s, it was um, given to Cardinal Wolsey, who was one of the favorites of Henry VIII. Mm-hmm. And he he had it refurbished. He was also the Archbishop of York. And he had it refurbished in the kind of high Italian Renaissance style. It was one of the first times that that style came to England, which is very ornate and very, you know, it kind of what kicked off. It's part of what began kind of the encroachment of the Enlightenment style into England, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he did all this uh, on the advice of a little book that was all the rage among clerics at the time that came out of it. Uh, Italy, and it was essentially a. I'm not even going to try to butcher the name, but it was by a guy named Paolo uh, Cortese, and it was essentially a marketing primer for how to cardinal, and oh. it included like, hey, you got to have a really, you got to have really nice digs, cardinaling for dummies, you got, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. And so he had this this rather modest building, totally blown out into this palace. So it's during his during Wolsey's residence, it it. Uh, took on the dimensions of a palace. Mm, now, classical Vatican bullshit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why Speaking, now, feed the poor when we can have gold uh, ceilings? Right. Yeah. <laughs> now, speaking of Vatican bullshit, so Cardinal Wolsey was the guy Henry, when Henry VIII decided he was tired of his first wife, Catherine of Aragon, mm-hmm. uh, and wanted to divorce her, he sent Cardinal Wolsey to Italy, to Rome, to plead to Clement the seventh, the then Pope, uh, for the annulment. annulment. Yeah. And Wolsey went. Clement said no. Uh, Wolsey <laughs> came back empty-handed, and Henry, who was the wrong guy to be on the bad side of. Right. I mean, if you were shitlisted by Henry the Eighth for whatever reason, it meant so much worse than just not being invited to like the next party annual twelve day of Christmas goose roast. It right. Meant you were the fucking goose. Yeah. So Wolsey was stripped of his title. Suddenly, Henry just didn't like him. Uh, yeah. He was stripped of his title. He had to retire back to York to continue being an archbishop, which compared to being the Lord, the, he was Lord Chancellor of the realm. That's why he got Hampton right. Court Palace to begin with. No more gold ceilings. No more gold ceilings. But as sort of an olive branch to Henry VIII, uh, Wolsey gave him Hampton Court Palace. It's basically a way of saying, please don't kill me. I'm sorry. Uh, and it only half worked because while <laughs> Henry moved his court into the palace and thereafter it became the royal residence, uh, Wolsey was still accused of treason later, which was a common, which was a... It was like his thing. It was a common fate among people that, that Henry VIII <laughs> yeah. just didn't fucking like anymore. Like, I don't like you. Like, we throw shade. Henry, like, basically you know, told them that, you know, yeah. they should be beheaded, which he did a lot. Um, that's the thing about this story is that a lot of the ghosts we're about to encounter are ghosts because of Henry. Yeah. <laughs> Headless ghosts everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Ghosts. You um, get a head taken off. You get a head taken pretty off. Pretty much. You get a now, head taken now, off. Now, Woolsey himself did not get executed, but he died. He was getting kind of long in the chops, so he died en route to his trial. Okay. And it's thought that had he made it to trial, he most assuredly would have been executed. So either way. But the first real owner of... Uh, of Hampton Court Palace, when it was a palace, was this guy who kind of fell from grace in a really hard way. So now, um, you know, later during the reign of William III, known as William of Orange, mm-hmm. this was in... I think it's uh, William of Orange, so... <laughs> it's okay, fine. Um, <laughs> with you with your British pronunciation. Uh, so in 1689... I think it's William of Banana, so... <laughs> it's William of Kiwi? <laughs> Different ruler, probably. Right, totally different. Uh, but so, so William the Third uh, 
so the, the, the Hampton Court Palace became, after Henry VIII, became the royal residence for several centuries. And in fact, the last monarch to live there was George II. So for several centuries, it was basically what Windsor Palace is now. And it went through a lot of changes. When William III was, was living there, Versailles came on the scene mm-hmm. and was all the rage. Like, put every other right. royal palace in Europe to shame. So, <laughs> William He was like, Orange, I want to shit on the ground, too. <laughs> exactly. He was like, wait a minute. I want nice vases that the nobility can piss in, too. So, he hired Sir Christopher Wren, who is one of the most famous architects who's ever lived. Uh, he, he designed many That's things, including St. George Cathedral. That's why I've never Cathedral. heard of him. Because, <laughs> like, look, i got to get my architecture <laughs> in somewhere. Uh, oh, doink, doink. We all know what that is. Anyway, so Christopher Wren was like, he had the idea of like, oh, I'm going to turn the palace. We're going to do a sort of subtle homage to Versailles, but do my own thing because, you know, taste. And (laughs) William didn't like that. Shocking, but money, power don't always go hand in hand with taste. Thank God. Thank God that's changed. I know. Totally different now. In our own time. Uh, So the result was this weird mishmash where you have William's ideas and Wren's ideas kind of conflicting. And to this day, the palace, you know, (laughs) kind of looks like this weird kind of grotesque mixture of competing architectural styles, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a theme among dictatorial rulers uh, in history. Like there's a lot of their places look like it's basically guys that have no idea how architecture should work telling a fucking professional architect how they want their building to look, and the result looks like a fucking McMansion for rich people. Right. For, a like, mansion, really rich mansion. people. Like, a, yeah. So... <laughs> So that was that. So that the house, uh, the, the house, the palace now has the look it has because of that time period. The last monarch to live there was King George II, grandfather mm-hmm. of King George III, who most of our listeners will know is the bad guy from Hamilton. He's the mad king, <laughs> mad king George. He's mad. I love the film, The Madness of King George III, mm, it's starring so good. Uh, yeah. Nigel Hawthorne, the late great Nigel Hawthorne, and Helen Mirren. Do you know mm-hmm. they just called the Madness of King George when it was brought over here because they thought, oh, if we put Madness of King George III, no one will see it because they will. They won't have seen the first two. Uh, oh, Americans. Anyway, so now King George III uh, refused to set foot in that castle after his coronation. Uh, now, he said uh, officially that he didn't like the place because he associated it with an incident that happened between him and his grandfather when he was a young boy. His grandfather apparently slapped the ever-living shit out of him over some innocent comment. And George was like, ah, never, I'm not living there. Fuck you. I, I don't know why I made him just sound like Yosemite Sam, but he's like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not living there. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm going to live in this other pal- you know, palace or whatever. So, so Hampton Court uh, Palace was then disused and has not been part of royalty since. It's still around. It's still, it's been apartments. It's been office buildings. But I can't help knowing the history that I know now. I can't help but wonder if maybe little Georgie had some kind of terrifying experience that had very little to do with being slapped by his grandfather. Because let's face it, who hasn't been slapped by their grandfather when they're a child? Oh, uh, well, yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, I was. Yeah. And I deserved it. I was such a little shit. <laughs> but and at some point when you're old and you don't have the chance, you don't have the fucking time to like race around chasing this fucking little kid that has boundless energy. Like sometimes... No, it's that's not okay. Not, it happens, but it's not. It, yeah, it's no. It's certainly not okay. Don't I'm, slap your grandbabies. You really shouldn't slap your grandbabies because they're just going to grow up to be a mad king. That's right. Don't we've do all it. seen how that works out. It doesn't. New countries are born anyway. So, 
what? This is a terrible anyway, lesson. So I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm losing the thread. So the how, I, but I wonder if maybe King George III just felt uneasy in that place because it had so much it's darkness attached to it. Because by then, to make an assumption. Well, by this time, it had a lot of shit associated with it. So let's get in. Let's go back to Henry VIII. Yay! So, so Henry VIII, who was the first monarch to live there, of course, mm-hmm. and and uh, who kind of set the trend for several centuries. He had, of course, six wives. He had there was Catherine of Aragon, Anne Boleyn, Jane Seymour, Anne of Cleves, Catherine Howard, and Catherine Parr. A lot of Catherines. Mm-hmm. It was a very popular name at the time. They weren't real ev- inventive with names. Of back his then. six wives, he divorced two of them. Mm-hmm. One died from complications in childbirth. Another outlived him, and the other two were beheaded. Yes. So it's kind of a strange track record. We're going to start with Anne Boleyn, whose mm-hmm. ghost is said to haunt She's the castle. She's his second wife. She was his second wife. So his first wife was Catherine of Aragon. Mm-hmm. And Catherine had originally been married to Henry's brother, Arthur. Yeah, but she Arthur, was older than him. Yes. yes. And, and she'd, been, like, she'd been in this weird kind of political limbo for years, waiting mm-hmm. to marry somebody. Um, uh, under the behest of Henry the Very queen, Papa Henry the finding Seventh, somebody to love. This was her experience. Well, yeah, she was shipped over from Spain uh, and hoped they hoped to make a marriage because you know this was going to be great for England to get back in with Spain because mm-hmm. Aragon was part of Spain or becoming part of the fold. It's a whole political move. Yeah, and she had All this marriages for, for years. Level. She was kind of held in limbo. She finally got to marry Arthur. Arthur died. Uh, she she and Arthur caught the same illness. She survived it. Arthur didn't. And then Henry the Seventh, Papa Henry, was like, "Well, then we'll just kind of keep you here for a little while until I can figure out what to do." Finally, decided to marry her off to his his only remaining male heir, Henry, who would later become Henry the Eighth. She and Henry were, you know, finally when they got together, they were they were the sexy couple. They were the power couple. Everyone liked them. She was well regarded. She brought a lot of new fashion trends from Spain with her to mm-hmm. England. Which changed things, and but eventually Henry got sick of her because she could not produce a male a heir. Male heir. She, gave she had him, a daughter. She she had yes, Mary. Mary she yeah. her daughter Mary, Mary first, uh, the Mary the first, who became queen very briefly, was also known as Mary, Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. Say her name three times while spinning in a circle in a dark bathroom. She'll show up in your mirror. You might get scratched. Yeah, or you might get burned for being a Protestant. That's true. Mm. God, this is good. So, <laughs> and so Catherine also had two mis- miscarriages before she gave birth to, to Mary. And and we're, so here's well, the she thing. She was probably shit-faced the whole time, too. Like, they didn't have a lot of prenatal care back then. Oh, my God, right? Well, because women didn't, I mean, newsflash, I don't know how much you know, but. Uh, <laughs> Please tell me, Michael. I, I, was, I was shocked at this, Jamie. <laughs> Did you know that life for women in the medieval era in Europe was kind of hard? What? That's weird. I was shocked. I was appalled. I was shocked, appalled, and dismayed. I want to write an angry letter to the medieval era. Um, <laughs> a strongly worded <laughs> letter. So uh, Catherine of Aragon was on the outs because you know, and and Henry wanted. I mean, he wanted to divorce her, and that's what kicked off the English Reformation because right. he was like, whatever. Ultimately, when Pope Clement the Seventh was like, nope, Henry was like, fuck you. I'm going to split with. I'm the doing Catholic Jesus church, myself. And I'm going to start the Anglican church. Because I'm going to start a church. If you won't let me divorce, I'm going to fucking divorce from you. And mm-hmm. I'm going to start a church that will let me divorce. When Catherine at the time there was already, uh, Martin Luther was already uh, making rounds. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. he, he Martin Luther, there was all Lutheranism mm-hmm. was already happening. So for mm-hmm. him, it was like, if that Luth- that, that yeah, German guy can do it. That crazy German guy with his little theses, you know, nailed up on the. And his nun wife can do it. I can do it, <laughs> right. too. 
was it the Church of Wittenberg in Germany that he nailed the, the 39 like theses yeah. to? Yeah. So Henry jumped on that bandwagon, got England, you know, kicking and screaming into the modern era by, you know, and the Renaissance by developing the Anglican Church. Uh, Catherine then was divorced and mm-hmm. left to kind of be Catherine for the rest of her life, the, the woman that was divorced of a king. She survived, though, at least. And I didn't so, think it was an official divorce. I thought he had it annulled. It was then. an annulment, but but religiously speaking, it, it serves the same function as a divorce. They'd been so together for so long at that point that an annulment, the annulment was essentially, there's so many like weird little minutia mm-hmm. uh, in, in how the in how it was. It's, so it's calling it divorce is not incorrect, but calling it an annulment is not wrong either. I thought I had muted this. I'm sorry. Way to go, Jamie. Way Shut to go. Up. <laughs> So, at the time, one of the reasons he wanted to get rid of Catherine, because, one, she couldn't give him a son, two, he was obsessed with Anne Boleyn, mm-hmm. uh, who was in the Playing court of time, was a lady and she was, I mean, she was, she was feisty, mm-hmm. but, and so they married, and she met kind of after a little while it's it's the old it's the age old adage like how you find him is how you're gonna lose him lady mm-hmm. and so he eventually got sick of her. Usually worse, usually worse for the mistress. She couldn't, well, she couldn't produce an heir either. Uh And this was a time when if a wife could not provide a male heir, a son, to her husband, it it was was considered a moral failing on her part. It was, it was, it was, how fucked up is that? Didn't she have, but she had Elizabeth. She had Elizabeth. Yeah. But again, you know, you have Henry going, okay, here's a baby coming. Oh, fuck, it's another girl. Another girl. Because there was no precedent at the time. It was not until a much later wife of Henry's that the law was rewritten under her behest, under that wife's, uh, the last wife, um, made him kind of convinced him, persuaded him to rewrite the law so that a female descendant of the king could become the monarch. Mm -hmm. But that was not a thing at Mm -mm. the time of, you know, when Mary was a little girl and Elizabeth Elizabeth, was a little girl. So Anne Boleyn, and this is the fucked up part, when he finally decided, I'm just fucking sick of Anne Boleyn. Oh, and I have an eye for this Jane Seymour chick over here who's one of your ladies-in-waiting, and oh, she seems fun, whatever, and she seems young, and oh, she seems like her belly wants to give me a male heir one day. So he had Anne Boleyn arrested, tried, and executed for completely fucking trumped up charges. Trumped Not up. a one of them was true. Yeah. She was accused of adultery, treason. treason, incest. Like none of it was true. But nevertheless, she well, it was all very she had no recourse being a woman. It was she, all marketing to get because the uh the people really liked her. Right. Um, and it took a little bit of time because they didn't like her at first because they really liked Catherine. They did. She was such a popular queen. Right. And then she started to like they started to come along and like mm-hmm. her so it was a it was a lot of marketing to um push them like to push the people away from her and make them think oh my god she's sick yeah she's gross she has relations with her brother yeah. uh, let's and it turn was away basically from her. Yeah. this whole thing where henry was like fuck Picking i want to get rid of this outside. bitch sorry what? What? there's what? <laughs> you can see this neighbor of mine on her balcony oh. had a dog out there <laughs> and there was shit the everywhere even. But she's out there cleaning it up right now. Oh, what a fucking... What, is it like the weekly I mean, poop cleaning extravaganza across the way? There's probably... Like, and it's a, <laughs> it's a good-sized pit bull. I love his face. I want to eat it. I talk to him all the time when I'm outside. Oh. And there's... I mean, he's... That's probably... They probably never take him on a walk. They probably just put him mm. out there to go to the bathroom. It's real sad. But anyway, she's cleaning it up right now. Well, so... I mean, but basically, so Anne Boleyn's fate was sealed because Henry was like, fuck, I want to get rid of this bitch. Because she can't give me a son, and I like this other woman who's kind of sexy and younger. Fuck, I can't play the divorce card. I've already done that. Oh, I know. I'll just kill her. Just kill her. Yeah. So she was beheaded uh, in the Tower of London. Like, she was found, like, from from arrest 
to execution was four days. Four days. Very swift uh, justice, I say, with intense air quotes. Mm-hmm. Anne Boleyn is... It's an intense whoopsie ghost. <laughs> whoopsie, that axe slipped. And, <laughs> and so ghost. Now, Anne Boleyn is thought to haunt several places in England, not just Hampton Court Palace. She's thought to haunt the... She's seen in the palace where she grew up. She's seen in the Tower of London where she was executed. Mm -hmm. And she's seen also in Hampton Court Palace and at least two or three other places. So she's probably the... She's the most well-heeled ghost Mm -hmm. of any uh, former monarch. Bitch gets around. uh, So she's seen... like, in, at the Tower of London, she's often seen carrying her severed head in her arm, which is a classic image. But in uh, she's spotted just kind of wandering around the halls of Hampton Court Palace, looking very forlorn, naturally. She's often uh, seen in either white or blue. So hmm. she has bitch in white. She, she can has, be a bitch in white. She has a wardrobe change. And people see her all the time, so often that they're like, hey, Anne. I mean, it's the people that work there, docents, wardens, uh, guards, tour guides. They really? all, they see her constantly. Uh, it's kind of an in-joke. And one has to think, and in fact, it's it's said that Henry himself was haunted by an image of her severed head that I followed him. Oh, I love that. Uh, yeah, I <gasps> hope that's true. So I happy. want that to be true, and I want that to be the reason he started overeating and became a uh, fat fucking bastard. Because oh, you know, I, he died of an anal abscess. Yeah. That's what killed him. He, he, he was literally a up. butthole. <laughs> um, I just, I get this image of her floating around and being like, you're a fat fucking bastard. And like. just constantly <laughs> nagging at him and bitching at him and being amazing. But she was, you know, she was like brilliant and witty and snarky yeah. and all that shit. Just, oh God. I would love it. I would love, I, I want her severed head to have appeared in the looking glass behind him every morning going, mm, you're wearing that today? Yeah, right. <laughs> I hope that's true. <laughs> yeah, just like Anne Boleyn's severed head give, delivers insults. Right, So right. it's like, so that's what you're going with? <laughs> I mean, it's your, your gut. Your is looking a little off-white today. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love it. I wonder if she she's, was wearing a hat at the time. Oh my God, I don't I even know. I want her to so much. But, so that's, that's uh, in a nutshell, that's Anne Boleyn. And okay. one kind of wonders if she ever... Runs into any of the other the ghosts of any of the other people there, especially his other wives that haunt the palace. So the next person on our list in terms of people who haunt is Jane Seymour. Now Jane mm-hmm. Seymour was his third wife, mm-hmm. and he, Jane he would say he cared the most about her. Right? He did. In yeah. fact, he wanted to be buried next to her. He always considered her his true wife because she gave him the male heir. Right? She gave birth to Edward, who would later be Edward the sixth, the sickliest. Oh, saddest right. little sad irony of that she gave birth to him on october 12th uh, 1537 libra shout out <laughs> <laughs> and sadly died from complications of childbirth just a few days after that like less than a, it was about a fortnight i think after mm-hmm. that which is about two weeks and it was originally thought that she died because of a botched cesarean section. And the, the thinking oh. that, well, the thinking behind that was that they didn't fucking care about her. They cared more about the baby inside her. Yes, So of course, fuck obviously. this bitch. Let's just let her bleed out. But records have uh, come to light since then that show that she was in attendance for his christening several days later. Yeah. So that's unlikely. It's more, uh, probably more accurate to say she died of a fever or something. She She's got never an quite recovered yeah. from. Yeah, she got an infection of some kind, and she died. She, she died in the same room that she gave birth to Edward in. Oh, it's a room at the top of what are called the Silver Stick Stairs, and every year, every year, 
uh, on the anniversary of Edward's birth, she is seen, poor Jane, uh, descending the stairs in a white dress, barefoot, and holding a lit taper. She comes down the stairs, quiet as a mouse, passing whoever is there, and she has been seen four centuries. Wow. Um, she comes down the stairs, and she goes out into Clark Court, which is the area of the palace that separates the Silver Stick Stairs from where Edward lived in life, and she heads in the direction of Edward's quarters every time, oh. always following that path. Now, the someone has pointed out that the candle and her being barefoot and in white has a strong suggestion of penance. That yeah. maybe she, uh, rightly or wrongly, considers... May, maybe she feels guilty for her possible culpability in Anne's fate. Because, of course, oh, you yeah. know, Henry's interest in her is what... You know, right, sealed uh, it. Ultimately for, sealed yeah. uh, Anne's fate. So she has been seen for years. Multiple monarchs have seen her, docents, wardens, guards, families that have lived there, office workers that work there now continue to see her. It's These ghosts are so reliable in just the very British way that like yes. everyone has seen them. Now next we have my personal favorite ghost. Well, one of my two personal favorites. And yet another wife of Henry, Catherine Howard. Now, Catherine Howard was Henry's fifth wife. Between Jane and Catherine, he married Anne of Cleves, but it was pretty quickly annulled, and they had kind of an amical separation because she already had, like, a fucking thing with a, uh, another duke somewhere was else. Was she the like, one that he thought was ugly? And he was like, why would you marry me to this ugly woman? I, she might have been that one. I can't remember if that was her or if that was, or if that was, was she the... German? Was it German or something like that? She might have been. How there was, was a very one, German I know there was one that was, I think, from Germany. And they, somebody else made it, the marriage thing. And when he got there, he married, and he was just so unattracted to her. Well, and the well, it, it's and the truth is that it was the opposite way around. Now, the, during this time, she was his fifth wife, and she was very young. She was the youngest of all the wives that mm -hmm. he married. And at this time, he was no longer the strapping, muscly no. lion of a man. He was he was the he fat, was gross, strapped, farty motherfucker. That yeah, he was yeah. so gross. And apparently, you know, they got married, but apparently they didn't have much of a sex life because he just wasn't, you know, he couldn't get it up anymore. He was fat and flatulent and, you know, too busy with other things. So Catherine, sadly, like she, she, she'd messed around a little bit in her yeah. day before getting married. Most notably, she had a fling with a, this nobleman named Francis Dereham or Dereham, D-E-R-E-H-A-M. But she called it off when she got betrothed to the king, as you do. Mm -hmm. But apparently, you know, after they were married, there there was just no sex life. And she was a young woman, you know, in the prime yeah. of her life, you know, full-blooded woman, and she wanted something, and Henry couldn't give it to her because, like I said, he was too busy, you know, stuffing his face with, what the fuck, goose, and yeah. <laughs> and farting and shitting or whatever he was doing at the age. <laughs> Being a king. He was, he was oh. eating on the toilet. That's what he was him, doing. I picture him like the guy from that Monty Python sketch. Fuck off, I'm fool, you know. Yeah, right. He's just vomiting into a bucket and shitting into another. Uh, <laughs> the king, ladies and gentlemen. That's <laughs> so easy. So, um, her lady-in-waiting... Jane Boleyn, who, yes, mm. was a sister-in-law mm -hmm. of Anne, yes, uh, who had become lady-in-waiting for, for the next queen, like, she kind of, you know, saw it and apparently facilitated this liaison with a guy named Thomas Culpepper, who was one of the... Uh, one of the servants who was part of the, the king's privy chamber, which sounds like a latrine duty, but it's not. It was like a place where, it was like the inner circle where the king, like his closest advisors met. So uh, Thomas was one of the servants that attended to people in those meetings. And, you know, Catherine Howard 
and he had a thing. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the, a guy named Thomas Cranmer, who was the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury at the time, found out about it somehow and decided, I'm going to write the king a letter <laughs> in secret and kind of tell him, that, oh my God, your wife is totally stepping out on you. And he left it in the pew, in, in Henry's pew, in the uh, Chapel Royale, or Chapel Royal, rather. And <laughs> Chapel Royale. Chapel Royale. With cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and mayonnaise. So, uh, and Henry, apparently Henry at first didn't want to believe, like the report, the, the legend says that he didn't want to believe that, that Catherine Howard could possibly, you know, that how could this young woman not be, how could this young woman want to cheat on Jabba the Hutt? Right. I'm a man! And, you know, but he nevertheless, even when he was still in his doubt, he still had uh, Thomas Culpepper and this Durham guy that she'd had sex with before they were ever married. They had them arrested and tortured. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Thomas Culpepper did confess under torture course, that they were having yeah. a fling. Uh, as did Jane Boleyn, her lady-in-waiting, who supposedly was their go-between. Which was dangerous for her, because Anne Boleyn's family suffered greatly when she was killed. Well, yeah, and it's killed. like, you've seen what the king does to, to women that why? haven't really done anything. Yeah, like, you she know? had two nieces mm-hmm. that were sent to this property that he had actually given her father so that yes. she yes. would uh, she would um, have, like, the father would have enough land to make her worthy to marry mm-hmm. him. So he gifted the father this land. And when he oh, yeah. killed her, Anne Boleyn, these two nieces of Anne Boleyn's were sent to live there for the rest of their lives. They were basically told, mm-hmm. this is where you're going to live. And it was like this tower. I've actually been there. I think it's in Ireland, yeah. Um, And it's this tower where one of them, pretty quickly after she got there, jumped off the top of the tower, and the other one lived there till her old age, and it is wicked haunted. Mm, Yeah. Wicked haunted. Maybe I'll get into that one day. Hashtag British ghosts. That's a good... I want to know that story. Irish ghosts. So... Catherine then came under fire, and Henry had her arrested. She actually put her under house arrest, so she was confined to her apartments within the castle. Mm-hmm. Legend has it that at one point, after being you know there for a couple of days, she broke free and ran down the now famous gallery toward the the chapel royal. Uh, in hopes of pleading her for her life to Henry himself, who was then at prayer. She was unfortunately caught again by the guards who drug her, dragged her, literally kicking and screaming down that hallway. And then just a couple days later, she was transported to the tower and executed. What's really fucked up about that is that on the way to the tower, for her final judgment, she passed London Bridge, uh, on which she saw the severed, rotting heads of her former lovers greeting her on pikes the whole way. So her ghost is seen everywhere, but it's most specifically seen in the gallery where she made that famous run Mm -hmm. to try to save herself. And people hear her screaming. They will hear running footsteps. They will hear things get moved around and knocked over frequently. People feel cold there. I mean, for years and years and years, one of the the tour groups, one of the many tour groups that go through that building, they always go through there. It's so active that it's literally called now the Haunted Gallery. Oh, wow. Yeah, and... I like to imagine that we also have the judgmental head of Anne Boleyn sitting there being like, really? You're going to run like Bitch, that? how'd you think this was going to end? Like, <laughs> is, this, is this the choice you want to make, sweetheart? Because it's, so it's going to haunt you forever. 
Maybe their maybe their severed heads like hang out together like I love it like Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn at the end. Yes! Of, <laughs> oh my God! Yes! <laughs> and they're like, did you remember where he parked the car? Uh, so I hope that all of these ghosts fulfill these expectations I put on them. I really well. I mean, come on, <laughs> come on, Britain. What else are you doing? Uh, so she is seen, and uh, she's called the Lady in Blue. She's often seen running down the hallway or just you know in her apartments. And uh, at one one uh, warden saw a disembodied hand wearing her signature ring <gasps> pounding on the chapel door. Ooh, there's a lot of residual energy yes. there. In 1999, two women in the space of half an hour on two different tour groups fainted dead away in exactly the same spot in the haunted gallery. Wow. People feel chills. They hear her screaming. They see her. They smell her. Like, that her, pre- everyone, like, it's almost, it's considered now by people that are at all sensitive, it's impossible to walk through the haunted gallery and not feel the kind of oppressive heat or uh, rather the oppressive cold of her presence that it is just there and that that was mm. her final bid for life. And one has to think, like, that's probably where she just gave up. Like, once she was caught and dragged back, that was her final hope. There was nothing she could do at that point. And she waited several days in her apartment. That makes me wonder, too, because where Anne Boleyn has been seen, there's been the lady in blue. Like, she's seen in blue. Mm -hmm. But I wonder Mm -hmm. if it's Anne Boleyn they're seeing in blue. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? And again, the haunted gallery is just so active that, like, well, we think that's, you know. But maybe, maybe the forlorn lady in blue they see must be... Uh, uh, Anne, Boleyn, yeah, Anne Boleyn, but Catherine Howard is the one they see running and screaming and kicking, and it's yeah. so you know. But it's so there are so many centuries of these reports that they all begin to bleed together. That's yeah. how haunted this place is, and it has such a rich history that it's actually rare that you can find specific dates written down because it's just considered they're ghosts. They're here, you know. It's like when you and I are talking about things that happen in our day to day life, we don't give specific examples. We just say, "Oh yeah, you know, Dexter, you know, he he can only eat his food if the bowl's on the stairs." We don't say, you know, yeah, you know, on October seventeenth. He ate his, you know, right. it was just, it's so much like ghosts are so, and these visitations, these sightings are so very much now woven into the fabric of day-to-day experience of the people that work at Hampton Court Palace that it's rare to find dates. So I was really wow. actually happy to find the 19, in 1999. And just to be just fair. Just having the year was good because this palace has been haunted for hundreds of years. Yeah, and to be fair, Dexter, he will eat if his food is not on the stairs. He will just then take it over to the stairs and eat it off the stairs. <laughs> it's so fucking cute. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But we, notice how we yeah. say it. Notice the language we use. Yeah. We say we kind of talk in the present tense about, oh, he does this. He does this. So that's how people that work in the castle talk about these ghosts. Oh, she does this. Oh, she walks down uh, the stairs. Yeah. Oh, she runs through the haunted gallery. Oh, we can do this. Um, oh, uh, Dame Sybil Penn is heard in her apartments. Dame Sybil Penn is the next ghost. Now, Dame Sybil Penn. Sybil Pen. Dame, dame, she, dame, dame. Of the, she was appointed dame of the realm for her okay. services. To this. She served as a nurse under four monarchs: mm. Henry, Edward, Elizabeth, and uh, 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 Mary. Mary. I mean, the fact that she survived through all of that is pretty well. And impressive. she was so she was so highly regarded because she was the dry nurse to Edward. Mind you, the the his only male heir yeah. that he was like, this is what I want. This is the whole justification for for his wives in the first place, as far as he was concerned. Son of a bitch. But she was Edward's dry nurse, and she lived in some of the best fucking rooms in the palace. Even though she and her husband had a house like nearby, yeah. she lived on. Site. But why? And it was a nice house, too, yeah. that they had built for her, from what I understand. But she lived on site. She actually ministered Elizabeth I 
through a bout of smallpox and herself contracted the disease from that and passed away herself from oh, smallpox wow. not long after. She was so loved by the royal family that she was given, she was buried with a lot of pomp in uh, a tomb, this magnificent tomb offside at St. Mary's Church, not very far from the uh, the palace. The palace itself is about 12 miles from London, upriver, the Thames from London. And St. Mary's is very close to the okay. palace in relation. So, and there she rested. It was, you know, fine until around 1829 when a really bad storm blew through and did a lot of damage to the monuments and, and the cemetery and the chapel at St. Mary's. So her remains had to be removed while they were repairing, repairing mm-hmm. the, the monuments and everything. And that's when shit started happening in her old rooms at Hampton Court Palace. Oh. So at the time, there were def- various noble families living there. It was no longer the, the, the kings and queens no longer lived there because this was after George III, who refused to make that the royal seat. But family living in the, the family living in those apartments at the time started reporting all kinds of crazy shit. Like they would wake up in the middle of the night to see St. Elmo's fire in the room, like oh. this eerie glow that was unaccountable and would just slowly fade away. They would feel cold hands cradling their faces. Uh, invisible hands cradling their faces. And they would hear an old what sounded like an old woman muttering and uh, moaning and talking to herself kind of everywhere and nowhere at once. She would be seen. In fact, she's called the Grey Lady of Hampton Court oh. because she's the Grey Lady. She was she was apparently very fond of wearing grey dresses and grey robes. And she's seen all the time wandering around this very stately old woman. Because she lived to a pretty ripe old age for the time. Mm-mm. And she only died of smallpox rather than, you know, so she, age, she yeah. who knows how long she would have lasted had she not contracted it. She seemed to be a feisty old woman. But she uh, she's seen walking around. One of my favorite thing, favorite details about the story is that uh, one of the things the family reported hearing was the sound of the, the sort of characteristic thump and weir of a spinning wheel within the walls. Oh. They investigated and actually found a long forgotten secret room that had been plastered over for centuries. And inside was a fucking spinning wheel and only a spinning wheel what? that they were able to prove was owned by Sybil and operated by Sybil Penn. Wow. And up until like very recently, now now a large part of the castle is offices. An office worker came to work one morning. This was in the past few years, and was entering in uh, the security code on the keypad to, keypad to get into the castle, and saw this woman in gray just looking out at her from the other side of the glass door. And uh, she opened it thinking, what the fuck? And the woman glided out. The person describes it as she she glided out as if on casters and then just disappeared. And the woman was like, she looks really fucking familiar and did some research and found that the image she saw of this woman was almost the exact replica of Dane Sybil Penn's uh, monument at St. Mary's Church, which is a statue of her in gray with the ruffled collar. It's really interesting. Now, there's a picture that some 12-year-old girl took in the Haunted Gallery in 2013, Mm -hmm. which supposedly shows a gray lady. It's fake as fuck. You may look (laughs) it up. You'll see it's fake as fuck. It is clearly... The proportions are all wrong, and I look at it. I'll show you at some point. Um, It's not worth looking at here, but it's clearly just someone with a nice detailed doll facing away from the camera, just holding it up in front of the camera so it looks really tall uh, rather than when it's just close away. It's it's totally bullshit. Next on the list of ghosts, we have Joseph Sellis. Now, he was later. This was in the... um, 
this was in the late uh, late 18th century, early 19th century. And <laughs> I don't know if she's going to stop. Hold on. <laughs> Let me get it. So next we have Joseph Sellis. And uh, he was the valet of Prince Ernest Augustus, Duke of Cumberland, who lived at the castle at the time. He was part of the, the, the Hanover line and was kind of the black sheep of the family. Like, that guy got up to so much drinking and womanizing and gambling and just crazy shit that, like, he was kind of the embarrassment of the royal family. But his valet, so one night, and this was in May of, um, oh, I want to say, when was the year? Let me find it on here real quick because it's so fucking cool. It was in 1810. Uh, in May of 1810, the Duke was attacked in his bedroom by his own fucking recently sharpened saber that was in a drawer near the bed. Somebody came in and just started fucking hacking away at him. Actually broke his, cracked open his skull and his brain was exposed. Amazingly, the the Duke survived the attack. Wow. His cries and screaming and the, the, the struggle aroused his... Um, his uh not valet because aroused that was them? <laughs> it roused the household it turned on everyone they were his, like yes scream about it his page <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh my god oh my god oh my god swing again swing again um his page sorry his page came to his rescue and saw found him in this state still living but blood everywhere bloody footprints were leading out of the room by a side door and he had to make a choice the page was like do i go after whoever clearly did this or do i stay here with my duke and he's like i gotta stay with my duke yeah. so he kind of attended to him and then he tried to get the rest of the house was like everyone accounted for now front and center and Joseph Sellis, the king's valet, or the, excuse me, the duke's valet, was the only one they couldn't find. Oh. So, but his slippers were found in one of the duke's closets. Okay. Weirdly enough. That's right. So random. it looked like that Sellis had, for whatever reason, been hiding in the closet. Uh, and after the Duke fell asleep, came out, grabbed the saber, and started hacking away. The reason they they know, or at least strongly suspect, that Celis is responsible because Celis was found later that night, locked in his own room. They could hear him gurgling and breathing heavily. They could hear blood spilling onto the floor. Oh. They finally broke down the door and found him dead. He had slashed his own throat what? with a razor and slashed it. This is how fucking crazy this sounds. The guy slashed his throat so deeply that the only thing that stopped him from being beheaded was his fucking spinal cord. Oh, gee. He what did not commit suicide. Ah, but he did because the room was locked. There was no other way in and out. And they found evidence later. This guy had a history of doing crazy shit that they found afterwards. He had originally been balleted to another guy that he'd stole shit from and kind of mm-hmm. left that in dishonor and whatever. Finally, you know, for many, many misadventures, found his, in this, uh, his himself in the service of this duke. And That does not mean you're going to cut off your own head. Uh, well, but he had mental issues. And constantly, like, hear voices that wasn't there, that weren't there, talk to people that weren't there, insist he saw things when he started living in the castle. And he got the the page I mentioned earlier, he just got a fucking boner for this guy and was going to take him the fuck down. They think, and there's a lot more evidence to back this up if it sounds fantastic, it really does. But once I started doing the research, like, holy shit, this guy was just off his rocker. And possibly from the influence of some of the ghosts in the castle, maybe. Maybe, you never know. Uh, It's interesting that he tried to cut his head off. Right, yeah, it is. But he apparently wanted to kill the Duke so that the page would be blamed. 
That's how much he hated this motherfucker. Oh. And when he failed to do it, he just decided to kill himself. And he did it with the only thing he could do it with, his razor. And he was just, I guess, had enough. I mean, it is quite possible to slash to slash your own throat that deeply. It, right. you have well, to be, we're talking about a straight razor. We're not talking about... Uh, yeah, yeah, we're not talking about like a Gillette a shit. five blade. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I'm, yeah, that shit, that doesn't even cut the hair off my face. But, <laughs> but his ghost is said to haunt the palace. And his, his ghost one? is one of the... the uh, uh, Joseph Sellis, the guy that killed okay, himself. Okay. Remember, the Duke survived. He survived oh, right, the attack. right, that's right. That's right. Um, which is fucking crazy. Like, he yeah. had four huge gashes in his head. His brain was exposed, but the Duke survived, strangely enough. The family apparently liked him much better after that because oh. he calmed down. It's <laughs> fun. But okay. Joseph Sellis's specter is seen in his bedroom where he died. And there is still some speculation. Like, did yeah. he kill himself? Was it someone else? Who knows? I mean, by now, it's, it's uh, the mystery is well over two centuries old yeah so we'll never fucking know but they see they uh visitors hear the gurgling and uh-huh. hear the sound of blood spilling <gasps> in huge you know uh, huge Ew. rivulets onto the wood I floor like that. they smell they have the, the, the iron scent of blood mm-hmm. they smell that his room where it happened is immensely cold and there has been fuck all they can do about it no matter yeah. how much they try to modernize the AC uh, that room is frigid constantly frigid they just cannot warm it even with fires going in there it doesn't seem to penetrate the, the cold of the room uh, on multiple occasions, his ghost is seen in his bed, staring, and his head is, like, detached a little bit and lobbing horribly to one side, and his eyes are wide, staring at people. And he is seen, um, I think it's where nearly headless Ned from, is it Ned or Nick, from the Harry Potter oh, series yeah. comes from. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a reference to Celis, even though it's from a different century. And they also hear his final death throes a lot going through Ugh. the hallways. And yeah, it's fucking crazy. Ooh. Can you imagine coming upon that ghost? Like on it. that ghost? Like a lot of headless people in this castle. So other ghosts just off the comp- uh, other ghosts are a tall dark figure in a monk's cowl mm-hmm. and robe. Um, that has been seen by at least one warder as she was locking up at night. Um, there are two soldiers from the English Civil War who are seen in the courtyard. Just so happens that there were two skeletons corresponding to the period found in the courtyard during an excavation. Uh-huh. No one knows why the fuck they're there, but that seems to suggest, oh, maybe that's who those gentlemen are. Oh, wow. The the kitchen staff reports uh, seeing a strange gray mist along the floor quite frequently. Mm-hmm. So much so that it's just they just kind of ignore it now. <laughs> it's just the mist. A tall, dark, another tall, dark figure in a top hat, uh, so much more recent, is mm-hmm. seen disappearing down the wine cellar stairs. Often a classic top hat, classic top hat ghost. I want to be a top hat ghost, right? You go to the Um, wine cellar, yeah. A dog, a white dog, is often seen curled up behind a fire uh, next to a fireplace that has bitches that are white. (laughs) White bitches. Um, (laughs) uh, Also, the dog is sometimes seen going down the hallway and disappearing into the king's quarters. It's thought to have been a dog, one of Henry VIII's uh, hounds that he okay. was really fond of. Uh, it, this is this blows my mind. In 1917, 1917, so just about a century ago, a group of men and women were seen in in Renaissance period costumes wandering around 
uh, one of the courtyards, a security guard, or may have been a policeman, I'm not sure, on duty saw them and thought, oh, they look lost. Because um, they were look, they looked confused, they looked right. lost, they looked like they were trying to find their way in. So the, the security guard's like, well, let me just open the door for you. So the cop let them in. And they fucking disappeared right in front of him. A whole group of people, by Time the way. Time slip. Time slip. Um, yeah, there's this. Okay, so this is what we're going to end with. So okay. this is this is the most recent thing I've been able to find about it that wasn't bullshit. Like I said, the picture of the gray lady that was taken by that 12-year-old. I think it was a 12-year-old girl back in 2015 is, isn't real. There's just yeah. no fucking way. But in the winter of 2013, security staff in Hampton Court Palace were repeatedly alerted to the opening of this rather boring fire door in one of the side courtyards uh, that's not accessible to the public. It's not an open area to tour groups and there's no reason. That it's just it's kind of a remote area of the castle, but this fucking door kept opening on its own with no explanation. It's very thick, you know, uh, uh, what they call a, a, a one of those slap bar uh, doors. It's right. a recent addition. Right? It's not. Yeah. It's not an old door by any means. So it kept opening for three nights in a row. It opened on its own, and it would show on the on the CCD footage. You could see it open. Yeah. With no one on the other side open, and the cameras positioned in such a way that had there been anyone on the other side, they would have been visible. Period. Okay. On the third night, mm-hmm. winter of two thousand three, the door opens again. And on CCT footage, which I'm about to show you, there is a robed figure in gray with a gaunt face, clear as the fucking nose on my face. Mm -hmm. After the doors open, seemingly by themselves, this figure emerges out of the darkness and closes both of them in kind of a huff. And it just so happens that that figure corresponds with an entry in the guest book from that earlier in the day where a tour, a person taking the tour wrote in the guest book that they had seen a figure in gray robes with a gaunt face wandering that area. Okay. And wondered what the fuck that was about. Yeah. So I want to show you this piece of ghost footage because you know how I feel about ghost footage. Right. I'm deeply suspicious of it. Okay. I'm watching it. Okay. I want to watch it with you. Hang on. Yes. There's very clearly someone shutting the door. Yeah. Okay. Doors are open. Guy robe. I see the robe. I see like a flip floppy. There's a hand. Yeah, there's definitely a hand. There's like beard. There's a lot of hair, I guess. Mm. Or a collar. Or a collar, yeah. What? And you'll notice that figure doesn't open the door because they're not standing close enough to have opened it. Yeah. When they appear, which is odd. Yeah, that is weird. And there was nobody there. Nope. Creepy. They call it Skeletor. <laughs> that's the pet name they give it because it has that, that sort of gaunt looking face. Oh, I have to say, wow. if, if it's trickery, it's certainly effective trickery um, because they're not. It's, here's the thing about it. it. It looks solid. It does look. I mean, it just looks like somebody. It looks like somebody in costume. Which to me recommends it as being genuine because most people, especially since the 90s, when trying to fake a video, the image of a ghost is you got to be transparent. It's got to be something like anyone who would expect to get away with that. Yeah, there's a still shot. There's just, we'll put the still shot on Instagram. What? Y'all. And those are the just some of the ghosts of the very fucking haunted. Hampton Court Palace. Hampton Court Palace. Wow. 12 miles outside of London, along the Thames, in England. I love it. 
Thank, Thank you. you, Michael. <laughs> I love Ted's one of my favorites. I just love a good haunted castle. Yeah, really good. And thank you, everyone, for listening. That's it for today's episode of Ghoul Intentions. Ghoul Intentions. Check us out Wednesday on Twitch, 8 p.m. Central. We will have a little chit-chat. Yep. Um, just look at Ghoul Intentions and you'll find us. The cute dogs will probably be with us. Probably, right? yeah. And as always, you can go to our website, ghoulintentions.com, to check out past episodes and to submit your own personal ghost story Duh. for consideration to be read as our cold opening in a future episode. That's right. We will uh, also, at the beginning of January, announce, I believe we are going to be doing a Patreon um, and offering some more content um, and to meet the demands of some requests that are being made. As well as merchandise will be available. It's coming, so pay attention. Yeah, yeah. Stay tuned to that. <laughs> uh, and I guess now is oh, time. It's time to stump the Tatum with a it's quote. T- stump the Tatum. Okay, so here's the thing. I was looking at quotes, but then I found this thing. You just clicked your tongue at me. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. It's um, the flame the champagne. So these are common phrases that are in today's vernacular. That come from specific movies and TVs. And there's okay, only a few okay, of them, but okay. I, I wanted to see if you knew where they came from. Ooh, oh, this is fun. I like this. I probably okay. won't. By Felicia. Oh, fuck. I, I love that phrase. I don't know where it comes By from. By Felicia. It's, is it uh, from Clueless? Or is it from... No. Is it from... Uh, 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 um, oh, fuck. What's that movie with Emma Stone? No, absolutely not. Okay. I mean, she may have said it in that. It is from Friday with Ice Cube. Oh, shit. Yeah. I love that movie. Someone's trying to get some weed off of him, and he's like, bye, Felicia. Bye, Felicia. Okay. Meh. M-E-H. Meh. Do you know where that comes from? Uh, mean Girls. Nope. The Simpsons. Really? Lisa Simpson said it first in 1994. Meh. Meh. <laughs> uh, okay. I did not know that. I learned something today. There are three terms that are used from one show. I'll say them slowly, and you tell me when you know. Regifting, double dipping, and yada yada yada. Friends. Seinfeld. God damn it. <laughs> that was close. What about Twitter pated? Oh, I don't know that one. You at know all. Twitter pated? No, I don't know that one. It's from Bambi. Oh, I thought Twitter pated came from Goethe. No. It's from Bambi. <laughs> you mean it's not from Goethe's Faust? Nope. <laughs> sure isn't. It's from Disney's Bambi. Close. I was um, so close. Thumper says it. Uh, I believe. Twitter pity. Yeah, it's Twitter pity. Or Bambi's mother says it right before she she does not. Dead. She does not say that. Sorry. Or maybe the maybe Flower says it. I don't remember. The hunter says it right anyway, before he shoots Bambi's mother dead. I will it. never forgive that movie for traumatizing me. I know. Me. I feel. I get you. Uh, Cowabunga. That's The Simpsons, right? Nope. No. I but know. Bart Simpson said it all the time. No, it's commonly thought Simpsons or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but it's not. It's from Howdy Doody. It's Howdy Doody time. time. Yeah, a faux Native American character named Chief Thunderthud would say it. I just want to talk about... Ridiculous. Howdy Doody, and there's a character named Thunderthud. Yeah. Yeah, the the makers of that show were Fecophiliacs. They sure were. There's no doubt about it. We've solved the crime, you guys. <laughs> uh, Jump the shark. You know that one. Yeah, that's from Happy Days. That's yes. from that's uh, uh, from the episode where Fonz literally uh, water skis over a shark. Over a shark, and it is it's said to 
when like something is getting so ridiculous, it go it gets off the rails. They have to resort to like crazy yeah. shit like that. Yeah, they, say they, they jump, jump the, the shark. shark. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this show will jump the shark when uh, we become ghosts. There you go. Just I like for the it. Patreon, or we just like start letting the dogs host everything. <laughs> um, okay, I think actually, that might help us. The last one is <laughs> the the term your toast. It comes from the line... Like you are toast? Like you're toast. You're going to be toast. It comes from the line, this chick is toast. This chick is toast. Um, um, Meaning you're done, you're over. Right, right. Oh, I want to say die hard, but that's not where it... There's a similar phrase when the guy says, and the quarterback is toast, but that's not... Uh -uh, The first time it was ever used was in Ghostbusters by Bill Murray. God damn it. Yeah. Of course. Bill Murray. Bill Murray, author... Of our lives. It's true. I you're love you're not wrong. So. so anyway, thank you guys again. Thank you guys. It was super fun. And remember, it's, it's okay, okay to sleep, sleep with, with the, the lights, lights on. on.